tonight. Record inflation, gas prices are above five bucks a gallon in many U.S. states. And President Joe Biden, while the bumbler in chief, won't go to Midland, Texas or Fort McMurray, Alberta, but he will go to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. It's June 23rd, 2022. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Average gas price in the United States is over five bucks a barrel, a 55% jump year over year. Summer demand is taking over what's left of supply. And the price of fuel is being added to the cost of everything that has to be moved, cooled, grown, made, and stored. So basically everything. Walmart says they're going to have to raise prices on items, which will hurt middle and lower income families. And Walmart blames fuel costs. It's going to hit clothes and food. But in the face of skyrocketing fuel prices, President Joe Biden went begging for help, not for Canadian oil, but to the world's human rights pariahs in OPEC, begging them to increase oil production. Biden didn't ask North Dakota, didn't ask Oklahoma, he didn't ask Alaska or Texas or Pennsylvania or Louisiana. He went hat in hand to the likes of Venezuela. He looked weak, pathetic even. Biden cancelled new drilling permits, something that has kept potential supply off stream. But Biden thinks you're as hard of remembering as he is. Look at this. This idea that they don't have oil to drill and to bring up is simply not true. This piece of the Republicans talking about Biden shut down feels wrong. Nine thousand of them. OK. And remember, as his first duty on the job, Biden canceled the Keystone XL pipeline from Alberta, which would have replaced all the Russian oil the U.S. was purchasing until March 2022, when the Russian war in Ukraine made business dealings with those Russians and their oligarchs unpalatable to the public at large. And anyone with half a brain could have seen this price shock in the oil industry coming. It's the result of a strategic oil and gas demarketing campaign that Biden bought into from his first days in office. He was the key unwitting idiot to complete the scheme. Here's the proof. Hear it from Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. The only way out of these boom and bust cycles is to break that sole reliance, and that means diversifying our fuel sources by deploying clean energy. And We've got, obviously, all of this upheaval. We've got the coming out of the pandemic. We've got uh, this obvious invasion of Ukraine on the energy side. And we've got the moment to think and act strategically about lifting up communities and building these supply chains out and building out the installations in a way that give everyone a chance to succeed. And yet still, still, Biden has not reversed course. Biden hasn't restarted that nearly finished pipeline from a friendly neighbor. And even this week, Biden hides from American oil executives as they head to Washington to try to help. I mean, the president expressed this, this sentiment again today on, on really laying down the hammer on these big oil companies. And so why is he not in the room tomorrow to express this message himself? Well, the president talked about this, as you said, as you just stated earlier today, um, the Secretary of Energy, Senator Granholm, was just standing before you, is going to have those conversations. Um, and uh, and what we want to see is a solution, uh, come up with ideas. There will be representatives from the White House who will be in the room as well. 
but Biden hiding from all the oil companies that he's been demonizing and blaming for his failures as they head to his office to try to formulate a plan to help the desperate American consumer and increase production. Well, that should come as no surprise. Biden dodged Alberta Premier Jason Kenney when Kenney came to offer help, too. Now, I've been a Kenney critic, but not on this issue. In 2022 alone, even before the war on Ukraine, Kenney was in Washington thrice to lobby for Alberta's oil and gas, first in January, then again in May, then right now, June, three times Kenny's been in Washington in six months. No meeting with Biden. Instead, we get Democrat Senator Joe Manchin, who may actually be in the wrong party. Manchin came to lay eyes on Alberta's oil industry for himself, and he liked what he saw. In your opinion, what is driving the resistance within the Democratic Party and the Biden administration against importing importing ethical, readily available and more environmentally responsible Canadian oil to supply growing demands? And why is the United States increasing oil imports from undemocratic serial human rights violators like Venezuela and Iran instead? I ask the same question. (laughs) Uh, I I think it's a lack of knowledge, lack of understanding. You know, how many people have come up, how many senators have been up, how many people from the administration have been to Canada to understand how valuable Canada is to the United States of America and vice versa. We're all one. It's North America. And North America could be the energy, the energy leaders of the world. It really could be. Of the cleanest energy production in the world. I'm doing everything I can. I intend to have Premier and the delegation come down to the United States, to the capital. In my, in, my, in my committee, and basically testify on what you do, how you do it, how well you do it, and how much we need each other and how we depend on each other. Not only the oil now, when you start thinking about all of the, the critical minerals, just take your rain. You know, and I, I said this, um, my history tells me that the Manhattan Project that we used at the end of World War II and saved the world from fascism and, and, and totalitarian type of regimes, uh, that came from uh, right here, and it came from York. In Saskatchewan, I think, in this part of the world, you had the richest uranium that we used. And so we've been connected that, that longer than people know. They just don't realize. So I mean, maybe my administration doesn't realize how well you do what you do and how much we depend on. But Biden, old, bumbling, fumbling Biden, well, he won't go to Midland, Texas, and talk to anyone there about what should and could be done to help Americans. But he will go to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Yes, he's headed to meet with the top dogs in OPEC, although Biden seems slightly confused about it. Have you decided, sir, whether to go to Saudi Arabia? No, not yet. What would be the uh, holding up the decision at this point? Are there commitments you're waiting for from the Saudis or on the negotiations over peace? No, no. The commitments from the Saudis don't relate to anything having to do with energy. It happens to be a larger meeting taking place in Saudi Arabia. That's the reason I'm going. And it has to do with national security for them, for Israelis. I have a program. Anyway, it has to do with much larger issues than having to do with the energy. It seems like Biden has greater affection for the Saudi oil industry and Saudi Aramco, the Saudi kingdom-controlled oil company that, depending on the day, is the world's most profitable company more so than even Apple. And Biden, well, he's going to do his best to make sure it stays that way. He's more willing to do business with Aramco than any American or Canadian oil and gas company. Keystone XL was 15,000 jobs that Biden was willing to pass over. 
And I guess he forgot about this too. The U.S. intelligence reports on Jamal Khashoggi's assassination. Yes. And I wanted to ask you, how far are you willing to go to press uh, Prince bin Salman in Saudi Arabia to, to comply with human rights? I spoke yesterday with the king, not the prince. Made it clear to him that the rules are changing. And we're going to be announcing significant changes today and on Monday. We are going to hold them accountable for human rights abuses. And we're going to make sure that they, in fact, and if they want to deal with us, they have to deal with it in a way where human rights abuses are dealt with. And we're trying to do that across the world, but particularly here. But I think Biden forgets about a lot of things. What he's doing, what he's trying to say, even where he is sometimes. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him uh, foot. Biden has said he will do anything, anything to help Americans, you know, except restart a nearly finished pipeline from Canada. I promise you I'm doing everything possible, everything possible to bring the price of energy down, gas prices down. My only hope is that all this unnecessary pain American families are feeling right now that it'll serve as a reality check the public needs. It might be the only good thing to come of all of this. Will they finally see how the pursuit of environmental policies at all costs is an economic train wreck? Will this finally be the stake in the heart of the vampire of the green energy movement? Let some good come of all this bad. Alexa Lavoie joins us after the break to discuss her story that called off the CBC dogs. that I am most proud of here at Rebel News is that we tell the stories that the mainstream media refuses to tell. And we advocate for the little guy. Sometimes we do that in the form of taking on legal fights. But it doesn't always have to be that way. Sometimes at Rebel News, we can move the needle of the players involved just by telling the story, just by using our platform to give somebody else a voice. And joining me now is Rebel News Quebec-based reporter Alexa Lavoie. And she's got a great story of how her story about how CBC was trying to crush a little content producer, her story caused CBC to back off. Alexa, thanks for joining me. Tell us a little bit about this story. What what prompted this legal battle between the behemoth of the CBC, this enormous taxpayer-funded agency? Tell us about how they were trying to crush this little tiny content creator. So the little creator is called Lux Media, and it's um, a really small production that is crowdfunding by the, the people as well for uh, doing many different kind of show. And that time, the for a bye-bye, because in Quebec, we used to do a bye-bye for, say, bye-bye to the next year and beginning of the new year. Um, so uh, most of the time, we do parody of what happened during the the previous year, but that time they wanted to do a parody homage to this uh, show that aired 47 years ago um, about Bobino and Bobinette. It was uh, just a puppet with uh, people uh, that was for children. So they they had the idea to recreate everything similar 
for the children, but that time uh, they put the per like the personage black. So it was for um, all diversity of uh, of the of people, but uh, unfortunately the people didn't really respond really well to that. So they didn't really uh, give money for continuing to create more content of uh, this show. So they just decided to abort it. It just to forget about it, but uh, um, one of the radio stations uh, in Quebec did talk about it and mentioned that it was created by um, some conspiracy terrorists, and uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was a parody, and they were using it to uh, modify what the children was thinking, and they were scared about it, and. A little bit afterwards, they receive a letter from CBC saying that if they are not um, removing the content, everything, they will uh, sue them. And they didn't really have the chance to do much because they received afterwards like a formal lawsuit against them. And uh, they were like, but the, the project is aborted. I don't understand. Some of the content I've already taken back from people putting on their YouTube channel without any like uh, um, watermark from uh, the source or anything, but them it's okay. But that little studio is not because they always been like uh, um, an alternative narrative of the government. So they don't say the same thing. They don't go to the same line of thinking. So I don't know if, if it's because of that, that, they make a big deal around uh, this little puppet show, but uh, it seems like um, probably if it was another media, maybe it would be not the same, uh, the same thing. So this little tiny puppet show and they're crowdfunded, which is probably offensive to the CBC since they don't <laughs> have to work for any of their money. They just get $1.5 billion from the Canadian taxpayer. This little tiny puppet show video that really nobody saw and that the content producers didn't even make money on. I don't, I think in your video, they said they really didn't even cover their costs to create no. it. It was sort of a labor, labor of love. And they had a uh, black host, which the CBC should love because they seem to only care about diversity. CBC saw this, and maybe the politics of the creators were wrong, um, according to CBC, and they slapped them with a lawsuit. I bet that scared the daylights out of these guys. But they were scared at the beginning because they were claiming all the fee related to the lawsuit, so the, the lawyer fees <sighs> and all, all the fees related, and maybe more if the judge decides to ask for more. Um, the thing is like they don't have any money and uh, all the money is on their camera or the studio. The, and the rest is like crowdfund from the people. But I don't think that people will like be able to crowdfund like $25,000. So for them, it was like, we are going to in court, but we'll probably be says all our equipment because we don't have any money to give to them. And so, um, so it's why I, I thought it was important to show the people like where their, the money of the taxpayer is going to destroy small business, small production as Lux Media for like what, doing a homage, a parody from a show that it's been 47 years ago. 
I was not <laughs> even born at that time. And uh, this is crazy. Yeah, I mean, Justin Trudeau pretends he's Mr. Dress-Up all the time and <laughs> he never gets sued. Um, so you sit down with these guys, you tell their story um, about how CBC is trying to crush them and they really didn't mean to offend CBC. They didn't take on CBC. They weren't even critics of CBC in their video. They just wanted to do this cute thing that reminded them of their own childhood. CBC comes to crush them. You tell their story. Tell us what happens once your story goes to air. So um, um, le, the president of uh, Lux Media, uh, André Pitt, uh, received a letter from the cabinet of lawyer of CBC saying that we saw the report on your case recently and we see that you aborted the project and you removed most of uh, the video from the platform and social media. Um, so we are open to let the lawsuit go down if you just remove the last video that is online. That's so great. Now, what did the guys from Lux Media have to say about this? It must have been a huge relief, right? Oh, yeah. So um, I saw uh, Andre, Andre Pitt uh, during the conference that I covered for Maxime Bernier uh, about the globalism. And uh, he, he looked at me and he was like, Alexa, I... I own you one, like I own you, like uh, I. It was so happy because I was. It was like I never expect that that will happen. Oh, that's so great! Must be a huge relief for you, guys, those guys. Like, imagine CBC. They have all the lawyers your tax dollars can buy. They could destroy your life, take your house, take everything, and that's what these guys were up against. And by mm. just going public. And telling their story to you, all that lifted right off their shoulders. And especially because the one who had that idea is Yendel. Yendel is an artist. He's a painter. So he do body painting, but he's doing like video producer. He do a little bit of everything. So he did build all the costume and the background and everything by himself. And, you know, he's not... A rich person, he have kids at, at home with his wife, and and he's just trying to get a normal, stable life. But he's not rich; he's not like poor, just like in the middle wage. But when that happened, he felt so guilty because it was like that is my idea, and now they are attacking Lux Media. That is, they are co, co partnership between them, and and it, it was feeling so guilty because it was like all. It was in my mind. It was just for entertaining children, and and nothing was bad. I didn't want to do any damage to them. I I didn't do the, any damage. The only thing that had on damage is us because we lose money on on doing it, and now we get attacked as well. So uh, I was feeling like a bit sad for him because I saw in his eyes I was really. Uh, shock and and disturbed by that news and and he just wanted like to get the message out that it was not like trying to copy or to to try to stole an idea it was really just uh, a homage and a parody and just to entertain 
the other community of, of children because he's from Haiti. When he grew up, he never had like this kind of show and puppet with black people. He was always white. So he was like, for once, I can maybe create something for my type of community and to watch. And he, he, at the beginning, was so proud of it. And now he was just like, I don't feel good. The fact that I've been attacked by the big company like that. Now, uh, my question for you, the next question is kind of personal. How does it make you feel? to know that your journalism, because you identified this story, you called me and said, Sheila, I want to tell this story. I said, it's a great story. We have to tell it. Um, it's got everything. It's got CBC using taxpayer dollars to crush the little guy um, unnecessarily. And I said, we have to tell it. But how does it make you feel uh, to know that your story helped these guys? I was really like happy. I was actually, I was, I didn't believe it at, at first. I was like, can I see the letter that he sent me? <laughs> <laughs> and when I saw that, yeah, they were talking about our report and describing almost like what we 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 were saying in the, the video. I was like, first of all, the lawyers saw my, my video. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect that. Uh, ABC is watching us. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Okay, so first of all, I had an impact that had an impact direct to CBC. So I know that CBC is watching us, first of all. And I know as well that um, they maybe say like, yeah, maybe we, w we went too far on this, this time and we should back up because probably they receive a lot of complaints by probably the, the citizen that was, were not happy to see their money using to sue a company that didn't do anything wrong. And I think it is a lesson too for other people who are, you know, they have these terrible stories and they just keep them to themselves. Um, I think sometimes it's okay to go public because you, you don't always have to sue, although that's often our first impulse here at Rebel News. <laughs> you often don't have to hire a lawyer. Sometimes just telling your story to the public serves to change the opinions of the people that you're involved in whatever disagreement it is with. Exactly. And I invite everybody who had like a really huge problem uh, that they want to share the story to contact us if they want to share uh, publicly. And maybe that would make a difference on what is happening in your life, you know, and you can contact not only me, but all, all the journalists in all in of us. News. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does uh, a couple of different things. So, you know, it, it it will bring you the support of the public, the moral support of the public. That's important, too, that you have people on your side cheering for you. But it also, when people tell their story, there's often somebody else out there who says, that is happening to me. I'm not alone. Yeah, and sometimes, like, other kind of story will bring a regroupment, like a groupment of people that maybe yep. they will be more powerful to go ahead with the problem. It's why, it's what I say, like, if the people are regrouping all together, they will be so much more powerful all together to go ahead and for being able to go and say, okay, we are fighting this issue or we are, like, people doesn't realize, but... Canada is big and the word is big too. And sometimes you have like good Samaritan, like, I don't know how you say it, like 
but some good people around that are there. And when they will listen to your story, they will jump and they will say, I'm going to fight for you or I'm going to I'm going to help you out. Or it's it's we, we need to, to tell people you're never alone. Never. It's true. There are power. There's power in numbers. Alexa, thanks so much for coming on the show. And I'm just so proud of the work that you're doing um, for us. Uh, it's it's clear. It's obvious. You're changing hearts and you're changing minds and you're making the world a better place one story at a time. So thanks so much. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Stay with us. Your letters to Ezra right after the break. portion of the show where we actively look for your viewer feedback unlike the struggling failing compromised mainstream media we actually want to hear from you we don't close our comment section we actively seek out your viewer feedback this used to be where Ezra used to say that he would read his hate mail but frankly we don't get all that much hate mail we get some very thoughtful comments from our viewers at home so let's get into it face like a dog if that's even your real name, right? You have to be living in a tent in order to qualify for legal aid in Canada. Our system is a joke and the joke is on the working class. You know, that's why I'm so proud of the work that we started doing here at Rebel News. And then it became a partnership with the Democracy Fund, a registered Canadian charity, to fight lockdown tickets in court. And we took everyone we didn't have an ideological litmus test. If you were on the wrong side of a COVID law because of an overreaching government, Rebel News and the Democracy Fund through the Fight the Fines initiative was there to help you. And one of our lawyers, Sarah Miller, Pastor Art Polosky's lawyer, wisely called it Canada's single largest and most affordable access to justice program. And by most affordable, we mean at absolutely no cost to the people that we were helping. We did it all through your crowdfunding donations. So I guess viewers at home, you helped create Canada's single largest access to justice program, far more effective than legal aid, where we connected people at no cost to some of the best lawyers in the business. Next letter. We've got one from Putin at my way, and he's writing on Ezra's story the other day about how Gerald Butts, Justin Trudeau's best friend, was able to come out of the SNC-Lavalin scandal where his grubby hands were all over it, completely unscathed. Putin at my way, again, that's actually a real name, writes, I just worked for SNC-Lavalin and I've been scathed. Since I was laid off in 2015, SNC-Lavalin didn't help me in my work life at all. Again, interesting how Justin Trudeau and his friends can be involved with SNC-Lavalin and corruption like a bunch of dirty shirts and regular hardworking people who just, you know, went to work for SNC-Lavalin, did an honest day's work and went home. They are stuck with the stigma of that company created both by the company and the liberals. But I guess people like you at home, you don't have the wash, rinse, repeat cycle of the mainstream media protecting you the way Justin Trudeau does. Next one. 
Steve Silver asks, why aren't you covering the corruption going on with the mass shooting in Nova Scotia? Well, Stephen, we talked about it extensively today on our noon live stream. So that's noon in Eastern time and 10 a.m. out here in Alberta. And the scandal you're referring to is how RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky in the in the hours and the very near days after the worst mass shooting in Canadian history took place, she was pushing with the Liberals to bring in gun control legislation to pivot from the RCMP failures to prevent the shooting in Nova Scotia. She was willing to stand on the bodies of the deceased to attack the law-abiding gun-owning community here in Canada to deflect and distract from her own failures, but also to be a political good girl for Justin Trudeau and his gun-grabbing friends in Ottawa. She was laying the groundwork for his gun grab that happened just a couple of weeks later, May 1st, 2020, wherein the Liberals decided to ban 1,500 popular models of Canadian firearms. She was instrumental in that. And I wonder what sort of reward she was guaranteed afterward. Was she guaranteed an unchallenged nomination if she were to run as a Liberal MP, maybe a Senate appointment? Or did she just sell lawful Canadians down the river for free? It's gross. Anyway, that's the show for tonight. I should tell you that our brand new billboard went up along the side of Alberta's Highway 2, just south of Leduc, Alberta, where it will garner 1.3 million monthly impressions. And it is calling on the provincial government to save Pastor Tracy. You can see my coverage of Pastor Tracy Fortin and Church in the Vine at SavePastorTracy.com. At that website, you can sign our petition that we're going to hand deliver to all of the UCP candidates vying to replace recently stepped down, although it's a long goodbye, Premier Jason Kenney here in Alberta. Pastor Tracy Fortin and her church, Church in the Vine, are facing $120,000 in fines after being convicted of three counts of obstructing a public health officer when Tracy politely and kindly and peacefully, week after week, told the health inspector to come back and inspect when church wasn't ongoing. They tried and once even entered the church when Tracy's husband, Pastor Rodney Fortin, was preaching on the pulpit just revolting. Now, Pastor Tracy and the church, they are appealing that conviction because we cannot let that bad judgment stand to be used against the next church during the next public health crisis. And that's going to be expensive. So if you want to visit that same website and make a donation to offset the cost of their legal challenge, it's all tax deductible. Just go to savepastortracy.com. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to everybody in studio in Toronto who worked very hard today to put together the hodgepodge of clips I sent them into a real live show for our viewers tonight. And as Ezra Levant always says, keep fighting for freedom. 
William Diaz here for Apple News and today James Top, the man who walked from British Columbia to Ottawa, finally meets with some members of parliament, conservatives, probably liberal and NDP as well if they want to join, uh, to discuss his stance and his views on vaccine mandates, mass mandates and other authoritarian discriminatory um, policies related to COVID-19 that Justin Trudeau's government implemented in the past two years. So let's go see how it goes. ...have access to their government and I think in a way even though it took a bit of work and a bit of time, but that we were able to get some communication going on between uh, me as a representative of the Canadian public or like on the ground and somebody who's been affected um, by federal government mandates. I was able to have this conversation directly with members of parliament in the House of Commons. So I'm very happy that uh, they had um, you know, the courage to come in. How do you think that message uh, that you brought forward today was received? I think it went fairly well. I mean, uh, you know, it's not like we had a poll or anything right after the meeting or anything, but um, I'm, you know, based on uh, the, the fact that uh, most of the MPs decided to stay for the duration of the meeting, um, I'm assuming it was well received. Like I said, I haven't had a chance to like, do a detailed interview with them. This is another option that's available to us. We are all peaceful organizations. We're all law-abiding organizations. And we believe that this is the next best move to be able to engage with the, the duly elected governments and uh, do this democratically, but put our support behind the, the right people. The right people that are actually going to respect the voters and the taxpayers and listen. And um, we're the right people. The right people, Canadians that lost their jobs, Canadians that were coerced. Canadians that were disrespected and were told that their bodily autonomy no longer applies. And you've just heard all the scientific evidence. This is all stuff that we have known for a year and a half because we've been listening. We have been doing the research and seeking out the, the doctors, the PhDs, the scientists and having these conversations. And I'm sorry, but the mainstream media have not been willing to share this information with the public. And so we have had to do all this research and we have had to take action to have our voices heard because nobody would listen. And so we've been vilified. I, I accept that. I had my accounts frozen. Uh, my son almost did not get his heart medication when my accounts were frozen. They use FinTrack to attack it and FinTrack is for domestic terrorism and international terrorism. And I was never, I never had a warrant for my arrest. I was never charged. I've never been convicted. They went straight to basically prosecution and they put my son's life in, in jeopardy. And you've heard the scientific, there's no scientific justification for what was done to any of us. So the people responded with a convoy in a march across country that was the People's Emergency Act. And we know we were supported by the people because two times we raised $10 million across this country. People were coming here by the thousands, giving us money, giving us food, giving us fuel giving us their love and their support. And nobody listened. And unfortunately, the Conservative Party, the official opposition, was not in a position to capitalize on that. And we have this unholy alliance between the NDP and the Liberals. And we, as a people, are being shut out of the, the process. There's only two people in this country that have full power. It's Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau, over 38 million people's lives.
A lot of Canadians have lost their jobs because they refuse to get vaccinated. A lot of Canadians have been censored online on Twitter and uh, on social media because they spoke out against the vaccine. James, do you have any message of hope to those Canadians and a message of why, why should they still continue to fight if they're losing their job and everything? My message is um, it's, it's difficult. I've lived through it. Um, I don't know what to say. I felt there was an injustice. And I stood up and I said something about it. So there you have it, folks. Pierre Poilievre, Candice Brigan were nowhere to be seen during his presentation. And 10 Conservative MPs left the presentation. I was told that it was because they had to go to question period in Parliament because it was happening at the same time. This was William Diaz for Rebel News.